There's a slight climb still. And Stina Nielsen, the sprint champion, moves to the front. She's the sprint gold medalist. Has she timed this right? Sweden will come into the straight first, then the United States, and then Norway. It doesn't look like Fala can do it for the Norwegians. It's Sweden and the United States. Stride for stride, push for push. Who's it going to be? Nilsson or Diggins? Coming down to the line. And the United States has done it! really it's kind of becoming a habit habit forming podcast casting uh, addiction yeah i'm into it yeah it's fun we hang out we uh <laughs> we, we we talk to people we're we're starting to talk to people around at least the valley if if not the world you know it's funny i uh i actually used yeah we're working on a podcast concept in a business meeting last week <laughs> I you may have oversold that. We're, we're not working on a concept. We're just podcasting. Yes, I think that's I think that's exactly right. But it was fun, you know. It was just it was an it's an interesting uh, and uh, engaging project, and uh, we'll see where it all goes. I'm loving it, man. Yeah, it's really um, good, you know. And, and I think you know one of the you know part of it is I always feel like living in Vermont um, when the weather's fantastic, we're not going to do any podcasting. And when the weather is a little bit iffy, right. then there's going to be time. You know, when it gets dark at three in the afternoon, uh, or if it's raining in February, something like that. But uh, oh, right now, uh, but 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 it's you know, I think it's a great way to spend our time. Absolutely, we're going to keep doing it. Well, and now you know, the fan base we have is out of control. It's out of control, and they're demanding more and more material from from us. So yeah, tell we, me about. We got to keep it up. Like who's demanding material? Well, there's couple guys yeah he wants to make the beer fridge tax deductible well anyway so i don't uh, know what's in his fridge right now maybe i can text him um before the end of the show yeah i feel like i would like you know with that without um you know spilling the beans too much i would love for the listeners to like uh send us a drawing of what they think chuck's beer fridge actually looks like because we've never like actually described the actual fridge and i know what it looks like and you know what it looks like yeah but nobody who's been listening to this has any idea what what is it is it is it a walk-in fridge? <laughs> you know, they might think that, right? Right. Or is it like a little like the, the corner fridge that you had in your dorm room in college? Like you brought this up before. This is the, Did you I? really yeah, you really want to do this contest. Uh, uh, the visual, yeah. Yeah, so if you're listening, send your drawings of Chuck's beer fridge to P.O. Box five 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 Battle Creek, Michigan. <laughs> Oh seven six three two. Somebody in Battle Creek's not gonna like us. Or you, or you could email. <laughs> yeah, you email. We gotta get an email address, but that's that's coming up. But so uh, later in the show, uh, I'm gonna to start, I'm gonna text Chuck. You, while, while you, while you do that, I'll talk about what we're gonna do later in the show. Okay. Uh, we have a fantastic interview with Adam Howard, um, uh, an old friend and publisher of Cross Country Skier Magazine, who uh, he's sort of. Uh, did a little bragging that he was going to head to the Pyeongchang Olympics to cover it for cross-country skiing, but he really wasn't going to go. And he kind of got painted into a corner and um, ended up starting a GoFundMe page, raising money, 
traveling from Vermont to the Olympics uh, and happened to be there to watch the uh, truly historic gold medal cross-country women's uh, ski performance at the Olympics, which is... Yeah, that was great. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind-blowing. I mean, it's really... To see how she turns it on at the end. What was her name? The, the one... Jesse Diggins. Jesse, yeah. And she Amazing. America's sweetheart. There's just no doubt about it. And it's, I mean, the the stars are aligning for cross-country skiing. You know, cross-country skiing is never going to be something that everyone in the United States does, but it sure would be great if more people in the United States did it or at least appreciated what it takes for somebody to compete at that level, um, which I, I think it's amazing. It's a great story, and, and I think, uh, you know, Howie uh, Adams' uh, adventure is is pretty awesome. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, winter came back this week, right? A couple weeks ago, we were yeah. jogging and talking about what I was seeing in the ditch <laughs> on the jog. Right and now, you were, you were uh, there were Russian immigrants uh, <laughs> uh, throwing Smirnoff bottles. And the blood yeah, I remember this. Yeah, that, that's a hysterical image. Um, <laughs> but uh, and now winter's back, man. I mean, the, the the snow is here and the people are here, which is really remarkable. I mean, it has. I know it's sort of taboo to talk about weather on the radio, but the reality is that the weather's a story, man. I mean, so we've had a couple nor'easters over the last two weeks, and apparently another one's coming. Um, yeah, snow is preposterously good right now. My legs are toast. I've oh, you ski- went, you were, you were up there too. I've been skiing. You went all I, weekend. I went all weekend and I skied, you know, I ski. So, uh, so Mount Ellen, you know, they spin the chair at Mount Ellen at 8 a.m. on the weekdays, actually every day. And so you can go up there and you can get, you know, an hour and a half in and I can slide in here by 10. Yeah. And it's really, no one's the wiser. And, uh, um, that's your that's your jam, man. Oh, it's great. Like it, you squeeze fun in throughout the workday. It's important. I think it's really important because the reality is, is I remember you go and hit a bucket of balls in the summer or like at lunchtime or or before work. You know, and I, that's I, awesome. I think it's um, part. I mean, part of it is being a business owner. Mm-hmm. You never are on vacation. You never right. are not thinking about it. And so when you have the opportunity to take a breath and get away from the computer and get away from the phone, it pays off. It pays off. And it's funny too, actually, right. and this is breaking one of the rules we just set before the podcast. Mm. But I also think like, you know, getting out and taking a couple runs. I mean, uh, so out of the last four days where I've skied at least a lip part or all the day, you know, two of those days I skied with my wife, which was fantastic. I mean, right. I, I, I call it, you know, marriage therapy because you just are out there and it's just, it's a fantastic way to, Having, having fun with the family. Having fun with the family. And this morning I ski with my son too, which I never get to do. Such a treat, you know. Um, right. Well, your, your kids are still too small, but, you know, my kids just leave me in the dust. Like they, they're so, they're at the bottom so fast that it, I think it drives me a little crazy waiting for me to get down. But it was, it was great. We, we, we bombed around. Um, we, uh, we had lunch today up at Waltz. Have you been to Waltz? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So Waltz is um, the mid-mountain restaurant at Mount Ellen. Okay. And uh, it used to be an incredible dump. And they, I don't think they had any idea what to do with it. It was just like this deck and like some bathrooms. And, um, and now... You, you don't have to do it right when you're... That's, that's truly... A captive audience. Up there. It is. A hundred percent. You don't have to do it right. However, 
they are doing it right now, which is an amazing thing. So wow. I would argue, I would easily argue that of the three ski areas that we have, you know, at arm's reach in the valley, mm-hmm. that the best food at all three is at Walls, which is an amazing, a, a preposterous claim. But here's what they have. They've got like, they, I swear to God, they've just got like a bunch of George Foreman grills in the back because they serve, <laughs> they serve like the best grilled cheeses in the world with like red hen bread. And, you know, some of the grilled cheeses have, like... Is it soup and grilled cheese? Is that, like, what they, they do? do? Well, they do, yeah. They essentially do grilled cheese, Which, but that's now they're doing, like, like a big, like, Korean spicy bowls, and, yeah, and they've got fantastic... They have that at, at, um, up at Gatehouse. Up at the, they do. The Korean bowl at Gatehouse is epic, isn't it? Have you had that? Yeah, and, and I heard it was the number one selling thing that they have now. Really? It's, like, the Dragon Bowl or whatever yeah. that it is. Yeah. It's great. It's delicious. It's a lot of food. That would that is my one mm. like when you get one and it's expensive, you know, but it's it's funny. It's no more expensive than a burger and fries. It, but it's right. Vegetables and spices and broth and that's great. That's so good. It's really it's That's it's, the it's stuff good, I always want to eat whenever I go anywhere. Yeah. It's like w- when we go to Burlington, I go to the to the Vietnamese place. Over by the movie theater, yes, in Williston. Yeah, oh for and, sure. And it's in yeah. that weird, bizarre town, fake town that they built. <laughs> the town right? square with the movie theater yeah. and like a ton of Asian restaurants because <laughs> it's the only people that want to be there. Yeah, but that's a good spot. And I go to the Vietnamese place and I get the the pho and yeah. it's just awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you know, uh, I think you know, so. Let me ask you this: so, like, if you are if you are in there and you are, what do you, what are you ordering there? You go in there. What do you get? <clears throat> a noodle bowl at the the where a gatehouse or up at the up in Williston? Oh, I'm sorry, in Williston. It is there's you know usually like five six versions of pho. Right. So it's either like the meatball or the the tendon or the flank. Yes. And it's it's always pho. Yeah. And it's always it's probably just the the flank steak or the top round or something. Yeah. So it's sliced beef, noodles, the bean sprouts, the basil, and the stock, which is just, it's magic. It's magic. I feel like... And it's not quite that up there at Gatehouse, but I'm, I'm glad they have it. It's getting better. You know, I, yeah. I will say, I mean, Gatehouse does a great job. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, as I said, Waltz is amazing. Uh, you know, the, uh, I don't even know what they call the, the Mount Ellen bar. Is it the Green Mountain... Green Mountain Lounge. Green Mountain Lounge. Yeah. And they've upped their game a little bit on the okay. food side. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Mad River, uh, which has some delicious uh, items as well. They really, they've started to up their game as well. That That is a great uh, atmosphere in the Mad River Bar as well. I love, I love the atmosphere. And so you have, uh, and then there's the Mushroom Bar too, right? What yeah. Is yeah. What, is, what do they call that? They oh, call the Wunderbar. The Wunderbar. The Wunderbar. How could I forget? <laughs> That's a, uh, some friends were playing music up there yeah. a couple weeks ago and yeah. I walked up there yeah. um, with, uh, with my son Ruben yeah. and we were going to watch them play music and it was crazy <coughs> packed and I had to vacate. Yeah. But I sent them a note on Facebook saying I wanted credit for showing up and supporting. But, I came. But I left. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it was not good. And so you, do, have you played at all the ski area bars at some point. Yes. Yep. So that would be the Wunderbar, the right. Castle Rock Pub. Yep. 
the Green Mountain Lounge. Yes. The Mad River Bar, whatever that is. General, Stark Mountain General Stark's Pub. And it was interesting. And so I, I was at the wall. Which I, they also call the Base Box, I think. Is that what? Uh, I think, I think so. I'm not heard, really sure. I've heard people say that before. And it's like, and it all of those, you have no monitors, no way of telling what it sounds like oh, out in the back. No, 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 you have no, a little bit no. of. No, there's, there's technology of, of, of a plethora. Yeah. And in fact, at Green Mountain Lounge, they built a stage and put lights in. And yeah. It's kind of a thing. Now. I think they got some sponsorship to go in. Is it like Citizen Cider? Is are they like. They've always had sponsorship for the stuff. Yeah. I think there's just a budget for for entertaining people. There's a budget. It's like it's for, a business. For me and the and Chuck and Brendan and the Drift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty awesome. Seven gigs a year. Yeah. Yeah. Making it all happen. It was really interesting. You know, I had a, uh, was out last night um, at my brother-in-law's place and uh, talking to my niece, who's a musician in the Burlington area. Great. And I was asking her... How old is she? Uh, she is just about to turn 21, or just turned 21, sorry. Perfect. And uh, I was asking her two questions. What are the best places to see music? Yeah. And what are the best places to play music in Burlington? It was a great conversation. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. And it was really interesting. You know, it's, you know, number one on both were the same. Radio Bean? Uh, it's funny. Radio Bean was number two. Okay. But it was Nectar's. And it was funny. Oh, yeah. She's, but she's like, you know, number one, you know, much like me and probably like you, she loves the dive bar because, right. and, and I was saying, you know, the, the beauty of the dive bar as a music fan is you're never worried that you're going to spill beer on something nice. And so you can get a little yeah. louder, you can enjoy it, you can, like, like, nobody's judging, like, you can. There, yeah, it's a judgment free zone. A judgment free zone. Why. And then Nectar's has a bit of that vibe. And she also said that Nectar's has a, uh, just a pre-guaranteed audience. And so you feel right. like a rock star right? because people are going to be in there raging. Whether they notice you or not, like it almost doesn't matter. Um, well, we're going to have to have her on as, yeah, we as should. our, our um, uh, best live music joints in Vermont yeah, show. I think she would love that. Yeah. Yeah, she's a, she's a very interesting young woman and uh, has a great band. And they're actually just putting their second album and laying that down, which is That's great. awesome. Yeah, band of... Uh, I can't remember the name of it at this point. Band of the Land. That's a great name. We'll tease it. We'll tease it. Something like that. All now, right, so... Hold on. I had something I wanted to throw out to you. Okay. Um, this is kind of what I've been thinking about all week. Um, all week? Because I'm always thinking about new business ideas and new goofy things. Like, I thought about a, a paintbrush at one point Those that are... has a paint can opener attached to it at the mm -hmm. bottom. Mm-hmm. And for exist? years, I was like, this is this is totally going to make a million dollars. And then I was like, yeah, I should probably Google this to see if somebody else has done it. <laughs> and yeah, indeed, there's yes. a paint company that has uh, yes. come up with that. It's true. Um, I thought about a, a machine that you put on the, the head of the neck of the guitar. Mm. And it has tiny motors in it. And it would tune it for you. How, okay. It would tune the guitar for you. Would you say that would it be like controlled by Siri? Siri, <laughs> tighten the G string. No, it would no. It would automatically put it into an E standard tuning for you. Wow! Right. Yeah. So you almost like you, and you can envision the future. You could slide the head of your guitar into this machine, mm -hmm. and it puts it in a tune for you. Yeah, there you go. 
such a thing now exists. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so I keep blowing it. Yeah. But here's here's the thing, and this is not even like kind of a revolutionary product. It's just something that I think would be awesome. All right, let's hear it. Um, curling Club here <laughs> in the Mad River Valley. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic idea. I, have a, I will, my one challenge to that concept is, is that it's a business idea. Yes. <laughs> Basically, I'm asking you if you want to invest in my curling club. <laughs> this is a pitch. I'm making a pitch. And what do I get? You get a mug, <laughs> a tote bag, and a football phone. <laughs> no, we can put maybe your name etched in one of the rocks, you Ooh. know, that we're, we're sliding at the curling club. Well, so, you know, that, that's a great idea. My father, um, who recently has become a real fan of the iPad. Um, which is great because now he can email me all sorts of crazy shit 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Send me a link uh, literally within the last 48 hours about um, curling in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Oh, yeah. It was a special curling night where they, uh, I believe it was a charity event, and instead of using curling stones, they used frozen chickens. Oh. (laughs) You can see how that would work really well. It would work fine. And honestly, I think you just need ice. You need some time. You need some brooms. You need some... I don't know what else you need. Um, I've done it once here in the valley on a pond. Um, Really? Yeah, it was New Year's Day, like like the first year I moved here. Like Prickly Pond or something like that? Where'd you go? Nope, this is up at... um, Oh, God. It's on West Hill Road in Warren. Uh, It was... What do they call that? The Temple? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, right off, right near the golf course. Yeah, and it was a bunch of young folks and and myself, and we were curling on a New Year's Day, and it was great. Yeah. Um, but recently, I've been thinking, like, you know, we have this outdoor um, uh, stadium, they call it here in town. Yes, we do. Um, for hockey and just skating around and figure skating and things like that. And there's all that, you know, a lot of people talk about, we need more stuff to compete with other ski resorts or other towns or, or other vacations. And my thought was, was Cur- curling club. It's a fantastic Like place. all day, right? When people are skiing or doing something else, right? You, you'd have be training Olympians and kids and such. And then as soon as like three or four rolls around, it's, it's beers and cocoa and everybody curls. And I think it's a fantastic idea. I think that um, it just needs like one co-marketing idea I think to really put it over the top so it'd be curling and something else like curling and darts darts lawn darts I was thinking Uh, I I can't think of it it coincides perfectly well it could launch well it's not going to work because the the date on this is is in the summer but it coincides perfectly with the legalization of marijuana in Vermont Uh. and so you could make it so if you could make it a curling club where there's sort of club marijuana membership benefits, I think you might be onto something. Okay. <laughs> That's tough, though, because it's like kind of part athletic training facility mm. and part opium den. Well, no, but this would be a very, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess you got to kind of see. I mean, my original idea was, you know, well, you know, what does what do you do if you were a band and the music actually really wasn't that good and. Yeah, and uh, you know, and we'll just for instance use a band called the Grateful Dead. They just got everybody to start taking LSD. So if you got everybody to take LSD and go curling, it might work. But 
but they might never finish their games. You know, they'd be like off in the corner talking to their fingers or something like that. I'm, I'm thinking that you're not a fan of the dead. Is that what I am what a fan of the dead? But okay. they sound better when, you know, I would I have as I've heard, you know, when people are tripping balls. I think that's just how that goes. All right. Again, we we keep coming up with with uh, show ideas and and. Uh, we're going to have an entire show dedicated to Grateful Dead, right or wrong. Yeah, that's the name of the show. <laughs> Grateful Dead, right, right. Yeah, we right could or argue. Wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, you know, in my defense, you know, I've seen a fair number of Dead shows live, you know. Um, at the same point... Is that, in your, I, is that in your defense, though? At the, at the same point, um, I would not put them in my top ten bands, I don't think ever. Top ten experiences, but probably, but not Great shows. top ten bands. Super fun super weird crowd yes you know which is that's why you go right it's just such a weird kind of a scene um yeah yeah all right so uh old business do we have some old business that you wanted to bring up i see that on our list um only from weeks ago um weeks ago well it's so hard because you know we we we, <coughs> we pod when we want yes you know? that's true and we pod when we can yes so it's We're busy it's yeah it's not you know, sequential. Yes. But one thing I, I, I did want to bring up, and, and there's a little bit to talk about with it, is we had Emmerich on. Yes, we did. Who was telling us all about the UVM scene and UVM basketball. Yes. Um, so quick update on, on UVM basketball, but first the old business part of it. Yeah. He was talking about the protesters that were protesting um, systemic racism yes. at UVM. Absolutely. And uh, I think that we were a little chill on on that discussion and i just want to say hats off to all protesters that is what makes america great yeah preach exactly i i totally agree and you know i would far rather have people saying too much than not being able to say anything you know and and, and i'm not saying yeah. that protesters were saying too much but Speak it. Put it out there. Write, I don't care what they were saying. Write write a blog post. Do a podcast. Do it up. Make it happen. You know, mix it up. Say what you want. Get it out there. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, and then the other the other part of uh, the old business was uh, Emmerich placing the pet band for uh, UVM basketball. They had their big uh, America East championship game yesterday. Yesterday and did not pull it out. And I knew people at the it's game. A tough loss. They uh, it was a tie ball game and they lost with a three point shot at the buzzer. Dude, to a team that they've never lost to. Yeah, dude, UMBC, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, great shot. I'm sorry. Yeah, but that's and what, it's what all are you about. gonna? What are you, and what you know, about. they didn't defend it poorly. Um, just great shot. I mean, I will say that, you know, uh, I think that it's a bit of a, a bit of a long shot, but I think UVM has a shot to be an at-large pick. I mean, they, you know, they pick, I believe, 32 teams out of the 64 come from conference winners, and the remaining 32 are at-large picks. Uh, they could get in there. They could get in there, but the reality is if they get in, they're going to get in as like a 16, which means they'll play like Duke in the first round. But at the same point... I think that would be great. Uh, it would just be nice to know that Emmerich gets to go somewhere and can leave class for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're pulling for Emmerich to get to Boise, I guess. <laughs> and then anyway, so <laughs> wherever they're going to play. Yeah, exactly. If they play. And then the other... Um, so before we queue up, uh, uh, talk to Adam a little bit about his experiences in, in Korea. Yep. You, you have a cross-country ski story you wanted to share? 
Yeah, I mean, all this this talk about uh, cross country skiing reminds me of my own experience you, as a racer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <coughs> Maybe you can look at me and, and tell that I'm not an athlete per se. You could be a curler. Yeah. Oh well, that's 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 different. I mean, don't sell yourself short. Well, and I think my wife would put curling into the realm of a game. Which is an ongoing That's another battle and argument we've been having for 20 years. Is what is a game and what is a sport? I, that is so worth arguing and making something that you just like work into your marital strife. Oh, it's been a big part of it for years. <laughs> and we've spent long... So what's a game? Like, what, what do you mean a game? I'll just tell you the one difficult sticking point that we have. Okay. And we always are debating it. She says that baseball is a game, Ooh. and I say it's a sport. I many years ago I would have agreed with her, but I feel like it's definitely a sport. There's this. I have no. She and she being a runner, um, I, th so I think she puts a, an aerobic quality uh -huh. to a filter a, to a sport. Yeah, you have to hit a certain pulse heart rate. Yeah, and and I that's just not how that football is. basketball. Soccer, hockey. She's in on that. Ski racing. Golf. <laughs> Not hardly, my man. <laughs> Not hardly. No. But cross-country skiing is a... Uh, yeah, absolutely. All that stuff. Right. And so, but cross-country skiing. So, from your cross-country skiing career, mm. you, have, you have some shining moments? Yeah. I, it's just... Maybe it will be in stark contrast to what we hear about um, in the interview coming yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, Again, in high school, I was like, well, let's try it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I had cross-country skis that belonged to my older brothers, and I got on the cross-country ski team. And it was a terrible snow year, and there was lots of running and not much cross-country skiing. And our first tournament or match or what have you was uh, a big invitational at Black Mountain. Where's that? Rumford, Maine. Rumford, Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, from what I gather, at least maybe this is just the fuzzy memory of high school, this was the only Olympic caliber or World Cup caliber cross-country course in yeah. New England at the time. Yes. So it's basically you're going to cross-country ski up Black Mountain mm. and down it. Mm -hmm. That was the course. Sounds terrible. I did this course in... A pair of jeans and a sweater, <laughs> but like a like a cable knit sweater or like a. It was like a with elbow patches. It was a J Crew probably sweater, and it, I think it was red and blue striped. So you were the number one on the team. Is what you're saying? I was hanging with the team. Yeah. I had some friends on the team. Yeah, it's and social. I had totally. Yes. It was social. Yeah, but this day was not. I was I was out of my league. It took forever for me to get up the thing, and then I just kept falling down on the way down. <laughs> on the course, yeah. On the course. Yeah. When I come to the finish line, the dudes are packing up the clock. Yes. They had turned the clock off and were packing it up. Yes. And they said to me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just finishing. And they said, well, hats off, man. Nice one. <laughs> then I found the... My school bus, you know, with all my friends on it. And and it was still there. Yeah, and they were waiting for me. And they were like, where were you? We've been looking all over for you. And, <laughs> and I, I said, I just finished. 
That's a fantastic story. It's funny, like I, my daughter raced cross country for Harwood uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of years, oh. and uh, she always really liked skiing with me because I'm terrible on cross country skis. Okay, I, I've alpine skis for my whole life, but you're okay. Being on Nordic skis, especially skate skis, yeah, it's um, it, it requires balance, and like it's just interesting. Like the whole point of cross country skiing, particularly racing, is not to make the most strides, but to make the fewest. Like, it's all about the glide, and it's all about right. the balance and all that other stuff. But I have, um, I will argue that some of my cross-country ski falls could be like ABC Wild World of Sports, <laughs> you know, <laughs> agony of defeat. Yeah. You know, because I'll be like, just, I mean, I'm a big guy, tall guy, heavy guy, picking up some steam, and if something goes sideways, like, it's it's bad. It's definitely well, there's a lot of coordination with skating, too, it's, right? It's an amazing thing. It really is. And it, it is, and it's... Uh, and again, back to, like, like, you know, the gold medal winners. Yes. Like, watching them just, like, power through this stuff. It's, it's it, amazing. It's an amazing thing, and it's funny, and there's so much going on there. It's not just running. It's not just... No. Trying no. to move your body forward. It's, it's not something that comes naturally. No. You've got to really work it. This, this is thing. not a... You know, we were not born to be on Nordic skis. Like, that is just not how that goes. And um, <laughs> True. at the same point, uh, I think if you watched any of the Olympic cross-country skiing, it looks natural. It looks like they're just breathing. You know, they're out there and they're yeah. just making it work and, and laying it all on the line. And, and one, one of the stats, as a kid, I was a swimmer. And I remember looking at some of the data or data or some of the reports and they would talk about the amount of muscle groups that you used as a swimmer and it and which is you know it was arguably like always the second highest total of any sport other than cross-country skiing right you know and and in cross-country skiing it's your whole body is the muscle and then you've got the whole head case that i mean i I think you know we're going to talk to adam uh, i think in a couple minutes yeah um it's what's going on in your head as much as it is in the body i mean it's a it's an amazing sport and uh and, and i will say you know the times that even as a spazzy dorky 50 year old nordics here if i get out and do a little nordics you know I'm, I'm psyched it's a good day it's a it's a great way to get out and uh and have some this fun this is why uh, nordic track was trying to market it to millions of americans right nordic track do you have a nordic track no <laughs> no i have a rowing machine i do not have a nordic track do you use it yes really yes uh three to four times a week you do yeah I go for a row, and I watch an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, or Mr. Show, or Arrested Development. Ah. So I watch TV and row. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I could, I could, uh, I could get a rowing machine, and we could like row together. <laughs> um, we could line them up like we were on a, a rowing skull, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't really know how that works. <laughs> But it uh, sounds weird. All right, looks like we have Adam ready to get on the phone. <laughs> We're gonna keep That's this good, up. Man. But um, all right, so uh, coming up in a couple seconds, we got uh, Adam Howard uh, doing a super local interview about his uh, adventure getting over to the Pyeongchang Olympics. Awesome. Well, Adam Howard. The topic of the day is um, Pyeongchang Olympics, and I just think your story of, I mean, I haven't, honestly, I haven't had a chance to really talk to you about it. I've followed it through 
social media and um, it's amazing, honestly, you know, I mean, we, we'll, we'll kind of, I think we should just kind of take it step by step. So the whole thing started with a, a joke post on Instagram, didn't it? Uh, more or less, that's kind of, that was the pivot point. Um, you know, we picked up Cross Country Skier magazine um, maybe 18 months ago. There's a bunch of us here in the office that are cross-country skiers and, and on many levels, collegiate racers to just kicking glide backwoods folks. Um, so that was an opportunity that came our way. Um, and it, that title was founded in Vermont uh, back in the early 80s, and we thought it was really cool to maybe bring it back here. So it became the first um, title that we published, or the first brand that we've owned that has a competitive a competitive element to it. Right. Yeah. Um, there's no, you know, you could argue that ski mountaineer racing is, um, is something that we could cover, but it's just, that's a little, um, that's a little, that's a little, that's a little inside baseball there. I mean, you could also argue that, uh, you know, hiking or skinning to any backcountry stash is also inherently competitive, but there, there's no rankings currently that I know of anyway. Right. Well, and, and so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we all understand competitive ski racing. And, uh, and I love, you know, I've, I always try to find opportunities to write about ski racing or, you know, cause I just like competitive sports and I'll go down and cover the world cup at Killington for the store reporter just because I can, you know? Right. And cause it's fun. Yeah, it's cool. And it's different. And, you know, I think that's part of the interest for me is it's different than writing about pow skiing and, soul sliding and whatever right. um, trying to come up with another or, word for slope exactly exactly um so we i said well let's get our we'll start by getting our credentials um so i got we started the process maybe mid-summer of getting our media credentials myself and our photo editor for cross-country skier cody downard who lives in victor idaho and we we went through the process um we we kind of knew that it was a super long shot that we would go, um, but we were hopeful that you know maybe as this as the fall so season emerged that we would perhaps find a corporate sponsor that would be willing to buy advertising on the website to support the editorial yeah. from the Olympics. And we you know it became pretty clear that there wasn't going to be an opportunity for that. We didn't really work very hard at it, to be totally honest. We were focused, you know, in the fall around here, you know, from June to January, we're putting out, you know, a, a glossy mag every couple of weeks and it's, it's combat. So, um, as we kind of got to the end of our publishing season, people got back from trade shows and we were hanging out. It was a Friday afternoon. I think, I think it was February 2nd. We were joking around and, and like just, Really, it was a bunch of kids on a Friday afternoon at the office fooling around about like, oh, going to the Olympics next week, which is when it started. And that's when I took a picture of my credentials and put it on Instagram. And I believe I said something like, I never expected that my opportunity to cover the Olympics might be in cross-country skiing. Yeah. Because most people know me from backcountry. Um, that's right. That's right. It's funny. I just looked at it. It was, it was even not just your first – 
it was it was about going to your first Olympics as well to cover cross country yeah. skiing. And and then and then what happened then? Well, the response to that post was pretty overwhelming. I mean, I think it got a couple hundred likes, which for me, I'm not <laughs> super social. I'm not like blowing up the social channels really. Um, I got a couple hundred likes and then, I don't know, 20 or 30 comments. And then I, people were texting me and calling me and emailing me. Really? And I felt like a giant douchebag because it wasn't really true. I wasn't really going, I was just joking, but they didn't get the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now, and then, so you were a jerk at that point. Yeah. Jerk. And it was a Friday afternoon and I spent the, if you know me, you know that I can't sit well with this stuff and, I was like beating myself up all weekend long, like feeling terribly, terribly bad. And I was like, what do I do? Do I like apologize on Facebook? <laughs> I mean, that seemed, that just made my skin crawl. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's hysterical. I, I didn't even think through that part, honestly. So wait, hmm. so, so, but an initial, so your first 24 hours, right? You're thinking, how am I going to apologize? Right. You're, that's probably, that's what, Right, twenty four hours, and then at a certain point, you're like, "Shit, maybe I could go." Well, I think I didn't. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know exactly. Um, I I think I felt like maybe I could have some fun with this, um, and and apologize in kind of a creative way. I think was was what I was thinking. Like, hey, look, I'm really sorry. This wasn't true. However. Um, I will go right. if you want me to. And knowing that some of my friends would be like, oh, I'm sending him. He's going to go. I don't care if he's got a hotel. You know, then they then they really have it, have me over a barrel. We've all got friends like this, right, that want to, like, make you suffer. Yeah, totally. That was my penance, I felt. I felt like, okay, yeah, I, I owe these people. I, I, I was disingenuous, and I... I you know, I don't have the dough to do it. So if they want me to go, they can they can make me go, and I'll do and I'll suffer. I'll go and sleep in the media room and bum food off people and dirtbag it, which so, I know how to do right. quite well. Uh, well I, yes, we know that. And so looking at this, at this point, you probably knew what the nut was to get over there. I mean, how, you know, you probably had looked at. I mean, you probably at one point in the previous six months had looked at flights and I mean, what, what were you looking at to as what were you thinking was like your, your possible low in to do that? Well, the budget that we put together when this was a real possibility in the summer was 10 grand per person. Um, and that was on the high end, but that included like media lodging for right. two weeks. So that would be the whole stay airfare. I think we thought a couple, couple grand and then, uh, lodging was three hundred, three to four hundred bucks a night in the media lodging at one of those giant media villages. Um, right. By the time, by the time I started looking into going, so I guess that you know, coming back that Monday, I started looking at like lodging availability and, and thinking about like, okay, what what could I really do this for? And all the lodging was sold out. I reached out to my contact at the USOC. And she actually did get back to me. Apparently, they had a surplus of lodging for the fig, for the figure skating venue, um, and so there was some opportunity there. There was a point when um, you know Cody is friends with some folks in Jackson, and 
And there was talk at one point about, oh, maybe Steve Nyman, who blew out his knee, we could stay near the downhill venue. And and then you start trying to figure out where the heck everything is in association with everything else. And I, I had decided at that point, um, I had decided at that point that I was just going to go with no lodging and that I would, worst case scenario, I would bum a floor somewhere from another journalist or I would just stay in the in the media venue and you've got people working in those media venues 24 seven because of the time difference and everything. So I figured worst case scenario, I could do that. Right. Right. But, but you're still, but you're still thinking I'm going to suck it up and put it on my visa card and go. No, I never thought that. No, I, I knew that I had to raise at least five grand to do it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have any, there was no way I could, that would that would not work. Credit cards were out of the question. Right. There had to be somebody else had to put some skin in the game, you know, put you over the barrel, so to speak. Yeah. And so and so, you know, in terms of making that happen, you then sort of reached out to the crowd, right? Yeah, so the following Wednesday, so I guess I guess that would have been the seventh. Of February, two days, um, two days before the opening ceremony. Wait, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the opening ceremony was Friday night. Um, I put I put a GoFundMe together along with that with that note saying, "Hey, look, I, I wasn't. I'm sorry that you took it the wrong way, but if you want me to go, and I was I was tongue in cheek with it, and by that time I was I, the guilt had left me. I was feeling like it is what it is. Don't overthink it, and uh, so I did the GoFundMe thing, and and I set my goal for six thousand dollars, which which it turns out was more than way more than enough money. Um, and I got we have a travel agent, um, Milne Travel, here in Burlington or South Burlington, and um, and they uh, you know had my guy there start looking into some travel. And I think the price I got for a ticket out of Atlanta, yeah, I had him price me a ticket on on Thursday. And I'd raised, maybe by then, I can't remember exactly, but I'd raised a couple grand within 24 hours, and it was moving pretty quick. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, had you have you ever done a GoFundMe before? No, it was a learning, total learning experience. Right. So you're just opening it for the first time, signing up, getting your password. You know, you probably, you know, put like ridiculous Korea idea as your password. Um, and so at what point did you think, holy shit, this is going to happen. I'm, I'm really doing it. Well, I kind of had to, get, I had to get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the arc of the fundraising and I'm considering my timing. And then I'm considering the events I have to be at. And, and, you know, the real reason I wanted to go was obviously to cover um, the women's cross country team because they were our best, our best hope. Uh, the men's team, they are no slouches either. And um, so I looked at, we really want to be there for that, that four by five K relay. And then we want to stay through um, the, um, the team sprint, which was the, you know, that next Wednesday. So we would be on the ground from essentially Friday through or Thursday through Wednesday. Right. And so, so, the, 
so just to sort of put the, you know, for the dozens of listeners that we're going to have for this podcast, you know, sometimes I think about the American cross-country ski tradition as a little bit sort of Boston Red Soxy. you know? I mean, the you know, Bill Koch was really the guy, right? And since then, it's been pretty quiet. Uh, yeah, 42 years since we've won an Olympic medal. And uh, he won his in, in the, uh, gosh, was it the, I want to say it was the 30K Classic I in Innsbruck. Was. I think it was. You know, and you know, and it's just funny, like knowing people of our generation and who were cross, who are or were cross country skiers, they all had the Bill Coke posters up in their room. You know, that was that was everything that people were clinging to. And and since then, you know, we've just gotten close. But I mean, it's a it's a beatdown. You know, the, the the competition, the the training, just just to get there is is such a marathon. And so, you know, before the Olympics, you know. I know you were optimistic and you wanted to go and it would be great to be there and it's an Olympic year, but, but honestly, like what, what did you think best case scenario was going to be for the cross country teams of metal hopes? Well, um, we knew that any race Jesse Diggins was in, there was a shot. Um, she's that, she's that good. And she's emerging as a multi, multi-disciplined talent. Um, so the relays were our best bet for sure. The, the team events, um, the, the sprint and and that relay, I think that relay was a little overhyped by the U S ski team. I think it was always a bit of a stretch. Um, and they ended up finishing fifth on that Saturday in that race. I think if they'd had a good day, um, and and had a couple breaks they could have probably gotten a bronze but you know it was really all about the four teams in front of them norway sweden finland and russia they they one of those teams two of those teams would have had to have some bad luck for for the americans to to get on that podium um they're just that deep and right and then when you think about sprints you got you got Keegan and Jesse and Sadie Bjornsson. Um, any one of those combinations, they they, ha- they have a shot. Um, so that sprint was was probably their most likely um, metal hope. So so back to you know, you know the the where's Adam travel adventure story. You know, so it's essentially right around the opening ceremonies. Your GoFundMe account has has some cash in it. You go on Expedia to buy a plane ticket to Korea. I mean, where do you like? How did you? So, well, I used our. So, oh yeah, used Milne Travel, right? I forgot. Milne Travel and the beauty of Milne Travel, and I'm not really trying to plug them, but it's it's frankly how we do business. Is you call your your person there, and they they say, "Here's the ticket. I got it on hold. You got to confirm within 24 hours." Right. So it's fantastic because you can kind of play it a little loose, and right. you can also book a bunch of tickets together and you can, and it's, it's worth every penny. Um, yeah. And so I booked that ticket on Thursday and then as the, as the numbers were coming in and we're starting to see that this could really happen, Cody Downer, he, he and his wife own a, they own Teton Pines. 
the <laughs> cross country ski center on the golf course there right. in Jackson. Right. And they lost all their snow over the weekend. So this poor guy is like desperately bummed out. He's not making any money. And he's like, I want to come too. And I'm like, well, I think we can do it. And I think if we're super, super dirtbag on this, we can probably do it for cheap for what I'm going to be able to make on this GoFundMe campaign. And so he talks to his, his wife, Colleen, he's like, I'm in. And I'm like, well, call Jeff. And, and sure enough, um, you know, we bought two plane tickets and, um, I want to say they were 12, 1300 bucks a piece. And that left us, you know, what ended up being, I think we ended up raising a total of 5,500 bucks. Um, so, Cody was a little less interested in doing the super dirt bag thing. He really wanted a place to stay. So, um, we found this pension out in the middle of nowhere. Um, define middle of nowhere. Well, if it, if the Olympics were at Sugarbush, it would be like staying in like Granville or something. Um, that's not too bad. Or, but or, it's... or, you know, Brandon or, you know, something like that. Yeah. No Wi-Fi. Probably 20 minutes ago, no buses. <laughs> you know, it was out there and it was in the country. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's more, it's not so much the distance. It's just, there was nothing around. Yeah. And if you don't have a car, you definitely were like really hoping people were, you know, generous with their time and maybe you could hitch a ride here and there or whatever. So, so what was your, uh, what was your flight itinerary? You flew out of Burlington or Montreal? I flew Burlington to Atlanta and then the Atlanta to, uh, Incheon, which is the airport in Seoul flight, which was 14 hours. Wow. It's a long flight. And then, and then Incheon and then, uh, um, and then from there, I mean, you know, is everybody speaking English or are you like boning up on your Korean on the 14 hour flight? Um, I didn't know. I mean, I assumed having gone to Japan, I, I assumed that there would be plenty of people that spoke English and, most people do know some English and, um, I did, I had a secret weapon though. And that was, um, this woman from Craftsbury who is a friend of mine, her name is Sung Hee Chung and, and, um, she and her husband Wiley, um, are big cross country skiers and she's from South Korea. She's from Seoul. When she found out about this, she was like, I want to do whatever I can for you. And so she was, she was got on a phone and was working her contacts and she ended up, she got us, um, rail passes. Um, take one of those high speed trains from Incheon to, um, near Pyeongchang and then a bus from there. And, um, so she hooked up all that for us. That's ahead of time. That's so. How, so, how many hours? You know, you you flew out of Burlington, and then how many hours did it take to get to your destination near the Olympics? I think I was. I left Burlington on that super early flight, like five a.m. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, it's brutal. Um, and. You know, it's so hard with it because it's 14 hours difference in time. Right, exactly. But it was a long time, right? 
So, so you landed. So, so hours, maybe. So you, you're Burlington, Atlanta, Atlanta, Inchon. Then you're on a train, and then you get on a bus. And you're, did you go to the hotel, or did you go to check in to get your media credentials? Oh, you had your media credentials. So, I mean, did, I guess you know how how do you even know where to go? You probably got to your room, and then you just decide to go show up at the venue. Um. Let me see. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, so you're, I guess, you know, I guess the, the question is really, so you're in travel mode and then all, you know, I'm sure at a certain point your adrenaline kicks in and you realize, holy shit, I'm at the Olympics watching people compete for a medal, you know, and it is, you know, you get to the venue, are you, uh, are you in? Uh, are you inside watching the race? Are you, uh, you know, on on the course, or how how does that work? So we got to the. So we arrived on a on a Friday night. We flew on a Wednesday. Arrived on a on a Friday night, essentially, to our final destination, and which was that pension with the heart-shaped tub out in the middle of nowhere which was kind of it was kind of like korea's version of appalachia i think yeah um and we we so we ended up because so because the olympics is so big they had all these young people um from seoul that were working all these sorts of venues in pyeongchang and at the events and all over the place and they're the most lovely young college students that you'd ever meet and they know absolutely nothing about anything, but they were so nice about it. And it was just great. <laughs> I think we need, I need some of those around my office. Oh man. It was, it was hilarious. Lovely people. They'd give you the double hand wave when you leave. And <laughs> it, was, it was, it was, we, we definitely loved the double hand wave, but so we were lucky that there were four or five of them that were staying at this pension and they had a bus they had this bus taxi that would come pick them up every morning at 8.57, 8.57. Why? Yeah, okay. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, 8.57. And they'd bring them into Pyeongchang, and they were working this cultural um, exhibit. Right, Wait, double, and, double hand-waving at people and just yeah. making and friends. And so we would get a ride in every morning with them. It worked out great. And then we'd take another bus up to the, the, um, the area where they were – the media area there was a giant uh there was a little ski area that had a bunch of hotels and stuff and a huge industrial building where they had all the sets for all the big tv um companies and and then there was the there was the the media house where we ended up being which is you know they had like 246 desks in this one big auditorium and um from there you could take a uh a bus, like a 10 minute bus ride to the Absentia um, Nordic venue, which was Nordic combined. So they had the jumping and then they had the biathlon and then they had uh, all the cross country. That's awesome. So we would just take a bus like 20 minutes before every event and it was pretty casual. That's great. We, we went to a separate gate and the media was totally separate from the public. Um, and man, it was certainly the way to view the Olympics was with a media badge. You could get, all sorts of access, all sorts of places. I'm sure. So, so how many, uh, so what was the first race that you went to? We got there. So we got there, got our press credentials, like 
squared away. So you give them what you have and they, they run it through a machine that makes it a badge. And, and we had maybe a couple hours to kind of get our footing. And then we were up, we had to get a bus up to that absentia um, arena. And they had the four by five K women's relay and the four by 7.5 K men's relay. Yeah. And, and how, and how did it go? Uh, it was really good. I mean, you can read about it at crosscountryskier.com. That was our first installment, and um, Cody got some awesome pictures. He uh, he was on course. Um, again, the, the the American women had a shot. Um, unfortunately, um, it was pretty much out of reach right off the bat. The first leg was a classic leg. Um, they do two two-and-a-half-kilometer loops, and then they tag off to their teammate. And Sophie Caldwell from Vermont um, was our first leg. And she, she's, um, it's, this is not her primary event. And um, she hung in there pretty tough for the first two and a half K, but then really lost some ground. And I want to say she was a minute out or so um, when the next skier went out and at that point, the Americans were maybe in ninth place. I think they dropped back to as, as low as ninth out of, out of 14 teams. And um, and I believe the next leg, I can't remember exactly how it went. I believe the next leg was either another classic leg or a skate leg. It's two skate legs and two classic legs. Um, Jesse was the – Jesse Diggins – uh, from Minnesota who trains out of Stratton was the final leg. Uh, long story short, they clawed back to, to, um, fifth place. Um, but they were playing catch up the whole race and it was a really tough race. And the girls were, were super bummed out for a bunch of different reasons. Um, it was a really interesting, uh, press, you know, interview with all the press, I think. Um, and I wrote about that, just how, um, the, the, the girls felt so much pressure to, to succeed in this event. And, um, you know, they were, they felt bad for Sophie because Sophie didn't have a great race. All the other girls had a, had a really good race. You know, if they'd had a fourth leg that was really strong, they would have been on the podium for sure. Yeah. Um, so was, they were super bummed out. I think mostly for their teammate, Sophie, frankly, then, then there's, then their success or failure. They were just bummed that she, she didn't have a good race. They were bummed out for her because she was so, sad that she hadn't held up her end of the deal. And and that sounds terribly pejorative. It's not meant to be because this woman is world-class and just wasn't her day. Right. And who knows? I mean, there's so many things that go into it from what's going on in your head to what's on your skis. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, she could add bad wax. I don't know. I'm not that insidery on it. Um, and I think it, you know, it was, it's a tough course. Um, and I don't know how her, you know, if she had good wax. I, I think, I think it really, at the end of the day, is not her event. It's, she is, I think, going in. Everybody knew that she was probably the, the weakest leg of that four-person relay, and she'd had to have a really, really good day to keep them in contact with the leaders. Right. And she didn't, um, and that was just the way it went. You know, it's it's funny in relays. You know, there's there's always this sort of mindset of. Well, if you're the, if you're the strongest person in the relay, the pressure's on you. But the reality is, is 
it's the pressures on everybody, whether you're the weakest or the strongest or the number two or the number three. But anyway, so fast forwarding a bit, you're there at the Olympics, you're, you're uh, soaking it all in. And then, you know, you're, it was time to go home, but you decided to extend your stay a little bit. Yeah. So mistakenly, I thought, I just assumed, um, and I don't know why I would have done this, but it was just a time crunch thing. Like I assumed that the, the, so the next best opportunity for the, for the American cross country skiing, uh, metal hopes was that sprint race. And that sprint race was on Wednesday. Our hope was that we would watch the race in the morning, get on a train to Seoul and then fly home that night. But it turned out, and we learned this upon arrival, that the race was, after all, in the evening, not in the morning. And, you know, I think if the, if the girls had meddled in that relay, I probably would have been comfortable leaving on schedule and coming home. I would have felt like, wow, we saw this, this great team. And it is a great team. And it's not just the girls on the team, it's the girls off the team, too. We are in incredibly deep with talent right now in the u.s on the women's side um you know from the u.s team through the other um just off the team girls like erica flowers who's one of our contributors um and 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 our junior team who won uh, a relay at um worlds last year at soldier hollow i mean we're deep so I felt like we were going to get a medal. I was, I was, I think we were all pretty confident. If we had gotten it that wet, that Saturday, I think we probably would have left on schedule. We did not, and you know, we felt like the next best opportunity was that Wednesday. And so, yeah, we decided like, okay, we get, we're going to push back so we can be at that race. So we pushed back 24 hours, which still meant we needed to get right on a bus after the race and boogie to Seoul um, because the trains were sold out for the next day. So we had to get on a train late that night. Um, so yeah, we spent a thousand bucks, which frankly, because of how frugal we were, we actually had it. I mean, I think we spent combined a total of maybe 53, 5,400 bucks out of our 5,500, including the thousand dollar push. But what it ended up, allowing us to do is stay and watch that race. And, and Cody and I were both um, fortunate enough to be, you know, right at the finish. Well, and talk about that too. That, that was a little bit of serendipity that got you to the finish as well, wasn't it? Well, certainly in Cody's case, I was actually up still in the media zone, which is be behind the finish, but we, we were kind of getting ready to go up to the venue and Cody had tracked down one of these wonderful young people that had a car they were driving all these Kias, like Kia was the big, or maybe it was a Hyundai, but Kia or Hyundai were big sponsors, and they had like 500 of these cars all over the place with these lovely young people driving them around who knew nothing. And in this in this case, Cody had, had uh, and Cody, with all of his camera gear, it's like, you know, he'll take any ride he can get. Right, um, sure. So he's like, how are we, how are we going? this guy's going to take us up there, and so this kid... You know, we gave him directions and he drove us up into the media entrance um, to the the back the back end of the venue. And, and the guys at the entrance were like, no, you can't get in here. Um, you can only get in on the bus. So we had to turn around, come back down, 
and get on the bus and go back up. And by that time, Cody had missed the, the photographer's meeting. And at the photographer's meeting, you get these armbands, which give you certain access. So Cody was super bummed that he couldn't get on the course for the race. So he had to be at the finish. And, he, and at the finish, he kind of had a bad spot. He was way up in this scaffolding. Um, but the guy, Cody's shot a lot of uh, World Cup events at Vail, um, Birds of Prey, etc. Um, so he knows some of the players. And the guy that does the photographer wrangling is, you know, from the South. He's an American and super nice guy. And as the race is emerging, as it's as it's clear that barring catastrophe, Jesse's going to win uh, uh, at least a bronze medal coming around the corner. You know, he waves Cody down off the scaffolding and, and directs him to this pit area, which is, you know, imagine if, if you're at an NFL game and you have a 400 millimeter lens and, and you're on the sideline, but you're dug into the, to the ground. It's like you're in a bunk, you know, it's in you're in a foxhole and it looks right out over the finish. So you're like, you couldn't be, you couldn't have a better vantage point to watch these, these racers come across the finish line. So he waves Cody down into the pit and there's like, the only people in the pit are like NBC, Eurosport, you know, and then probably the New York times or, you know, some really heavy duty people. Right. And then cross country skier magazine, which was awesome. So he was right there. <laughs> right. If you go, if you go on the website, you can see the shots he got of Jesse coming down that final straight, um, chasing down the, the Swedish racer and passing her right at the finish. I mean, and it's then falling around and having Keegan run out and jump on her. And, you know, it was just chaos. Everybody's going nuts. I mean, that's it wild. It's pure gold. I mean, that, uh, that footage of that final sprint, it's just interesting. You know, you watch the Olympics and most of the time, if you don't see it live, like why bother seeing it? You know, it, you already know what happens, but that's one of those, you know, that's the thrill of victory clip that they're going to run ahead of every Olympics for the rest of time. I mean, the excitement and the emotion and, and the whole nine yards. And there you guys are front and center for that whole thing. And, you know, I guess, you know, well, the, one of the questions I had written down to ask you is, are you guys going to make a poster, you know, so that the next gen can, can have that Jesse Diggins poster in their rooms? You know, I hadn't thought of that, but I think we ought to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get it. I get you know, it. We're, we, did, we did a bunch of stuff on social and on our website from the trip, and we're going to do a big feature, you know, telling this story in our first issue next year. And we decided that one of the, one of the traditions at the Olympics is, for people working the Olympics to trade um, pins. So you have your credentials and you got your strap where, where you're, you know, that's hanging around your neck, your lanyard or whatever. People will fill those with pins from all over the world. And, and we kind of came onto that late, but um, I think we're going to, you know, we had 90 people donate to our trip. And I would say certainly some were friends and family. Many were friends and family, but there were many just, readers and you know neighbors it was a it was really quite a heartwarming experience to see who would who would chip in 10 bucks to see you go to something like this and and knowing that you're going to report back right um so we thought we would do some sort of pin for them um along with a thank you 
think that's a great so idea. That, yeah. and, and, you know, it's really, you know, it's a, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, publications are sort of a community center anyway, right? And the whole idea is that people who support that community pitch in and, and then the publication can go cover cool stuff like this and can tell those stories that, uh, that people want to hear. So, I mean, so did, you know, in terms of how it went for you guys, I mean, as soon as that race is over, are you guys like on a bus or did you stay for a couple minutes and, you know, you probably did the, the post event press conference and then you had all your bags and you split or, or how long were you able to hang out? We couldn't even stay for the press conference. So, Typically what happens after a race, there's a zone called the mix zone or the mixed zone, which is athletes will slowly go through the chicane of, of reporters, TV crews, etc. Um, the winning teams or the winning individuals, the podium doesn't go through that. They have a special press conference later. Um, I, um, we, we couldn't stay for the press conference. We had to get on a bus and go to the station and get on a train. Um, we did get to stay to interview the men. We interviewed the men, and I actually was lucky enough to interview Jesse Diggins' parents. Oh, awesome! So my story was kind of was kind of built around those interviews, and then knowing that I wasn't going to be able to get in touch with with um, Jesse and Keegan, um, and knowing that. Look, everything that we did, everything that we covered and how we covered it had to be kind of really observational. It wasn't super insidery. It was, you know, faster skier is kind of the the North American competitive cross-country ski racing um, right. media. And they do a really good job and, and their, their reporters are awesome. Um, and we can't touch that. A, they have better, more expertise. They have that institutional knowledge. They've been doing that a long time. Um, so we have to talk about more cultural stuff. Right. The which experience. I think we did a fairly yeah. good job of doing. But the one thing I will say um, is, you know, as I was flying home, I was riding on the flight over to Seattle. And I was like, I got to talk to Bill Koch. There's no way I can do this story justice without talking to Koki. And this guy is a, you know, he lives in Peru, Vermont. He's kind of a hermit. Um, he has done a tremendous amount for the sport over the years, but he's an introvert. You know, he's a quiet guy. He never wanted the limelight. He just wanted to ski. Right. And I knew that it would be difficult to get to get an interview, but I knew I had to try. So when I landed in Seattle, I texted with with uh, with Erica Flowers, uh, Erica Flowers Newell, actually, who's Annie Newell's wife. Sure. Um, and the contributor of ours. And I was like, I really got to talk to Bill. Do you have any ins there? And she goes, yeah, you know, it's going to be tough. And she forwarded an email to Sperry Caldwell, who's a, another legend in, in the sport, especially in Vermont. And he forwarded and, and, and he replied saying, hey, look, I have CC Bill's wife, Kate, but it's unlikely is basically what it went down like. But then, but you know, and I was like, look, It'd be really great if we could do this. And sure enough, Kate said he'll do it. So then I got on another flight and flew to Salt Lake City. 
And I got there late at night, went up to Alta where we're doing an event for backcountry, our backcountry base camp um, tour. And we were to build a yurt that day and it's nuking snow and it's like seven o'clock in the morning and I hadn't slept for another whatever, 24 hours. And, and I do an interview like we're doing now with Bill Koch and, you know, it it was one of the most profound interviews I've ever done. Um, and this guy just felt like the world had been lifted off his shoulders. Oh, that's Um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the, he, the monkey was off his back. He was no longer the one Olympian with the medal. Yeah, and and, and he, in that interview, and I, I included some of that interview in the piece I wrote that, that was published the, that day, um, and it was our last installment from the trip, um, but I have the entirety of the interview, which, which I'm going to release here at some point. Um, but it was, you know, you, you, you're a journalist too, and and you know, some it's what we do. It's this is this this is what may, this is what pays us is is not the money certainly, but but these conversations and that conversation with Bill Koch, you know, ranks up there with with any I've ever done for for any outlet. Uh, super moving. That's incredible. I can't wait to check that out. So, what what do you think? What, what is this? I mean, this is a really easy big question for you. What does it mean for cross-country skiing? I mean, what, you know, how, it was interesting. I talked to a couple of buddies in Nordic companies this fall and they were psyched. They were having a pretty good fall and things were moving in the right direction. But, you know, what, what does this mean? You know, I mean, I mean, basically we've been milking Bill Coke for the last, you know, five decades. I mean, is this, uh, is this the, the golden opportunity for the sport? You know, I guess it's hard for me to say. I think it will certainly be positive. I think the question is how positive. And I think the question is what do Heakin and Jesse and the rest of the team do with this? Um, Bill suggested he thought it would double the sport. That's a start. I think that's pretty, that's pretty aggressive. It'd be yeah. fantastic. And I'll be totally honest with you, and it's kind of crappy, but I would agree with him if we didn't have such a battle for snow these days. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, when Bill Koch won 1976, you could get pretty good, reliable snow in Central Park every winter. Right. Um, you can't even get reliable snow in Waitsfield now, yeah. you know, so um, climate change remains our biggest obstacle or our biggest hurdle in, in any of our winter sports. And, you know, I think cross-country skiing has, has come a long way to it to evolve and adapt. There's a lot of snowmaking, certainly in racing. There's a lot of venues, which are, which are really, uh, you know, close to urban areas, especially in Europe. Um, there's a lot of great opportunities, but it's not as out the door reliable as it used to be. Right. So I think that's a big challenge that both cross country and Alpine skiing face. Oh, for sure. You know, and I, I think I think about it all the time and I think, you know, talking to another guy with, little salt and pepper going like we can certainly commiserate at the same point you know i just have to feel like people of jesse's age and younger it's normal to them you know this is this is sort of their every day and the fact that she did this and really put the cross-country program in the united states on her back despite that it makes me actually kind of optimistic it's you know it's not like uh 
you know, like you said, it's not like the, the only metal is built coke. It's it's Jesse Diggins who did it, you know, at a time where it is unreliable and where, you know, my, my line is, you know, we're all East Coast skiers now, you know, everybody's on the emotional roller coaster of winter, but she did it. And I, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's interesting. I think doubling the sport, I would have to agree is that's a lovely goal. I think, I think, how about just increasing participation for the next couple of years would be a great place to start. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's awesome. I think even if, I mean, you'd have to be, you know, stone cold to not get a little emotional watching that final sprint, listen to the, listening to the sportscasters dial it in. And, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched that you guys were able to go and, um, I'm psyched that it's a part of, uh, the cross country skier world as well as faster skier. I mean, I think faster skier, like you said, they're the inside baseball publication, but how many people does that really touch? You know, whereas really there's the opportunity in cross country skiing, as we all know, is, is that bigger population that doesn't race. That's just going out to get a workout or put a couple miles in before work or, you know, once a winter, you know, and I think, um, I think it's been, it's been pretty amazing for sure. I mean, what about your family? Like, as this was all going down, where I can only imagine that they were watching the Olympics and, and freaking out, knowing that you were there. Well, we're big. We're big. My girls both alpine ski race. Um, my wife Holly was a pretty high level cross country ski racer. Um, we love winter sports. We follow this stuff really closely. You know, I was home the week. The first week of the Olympics, I was home watching the Olympics every day with my family, as I'm sure you were with yours. So, you know, we were fired up, certainly, um, before I left. And then I know they were fired up um, when I was there. And we would overlap a little bit each day so I could talk to them uh, in the morning and at night every day. And we'd talk about what they were watching and, you know, what was interesting to them and what I just seen and they would read what, what I posted and stuff. So it was a, that was a really fun dynamic, them reading my stuff and seeing the photos we published and talking to me about different things, whether it was the buffet that I'd found finally after a couple of days or, yeah. or what have you. So kids. it was super, they were fired up. Yeah. yeah. Daddy's a big deal, kids. Come on. Give me a break. I don't know about that. It was, it was pretty awesome. That's super, super cool. That's awesome. Well, hey, Adam, um, I really appreciate your time. I, I, uh, I think it's an amazing story, and I think it's just so great that like all those things came together and, and allowed you to be front row for really what's history, not just in sports, but in the United States. I think it's amazing, and I'm, I'm psyched to read more about it in Cross Country Skier. Well, I appreciate your interest in uh Pray for snow. Right. Dude, this last storm, it's a season saver right here. Skiing's good right now. Skiing's great. All right, man. Great to talk to you. All right. Talk to you soon. See ya. That was amazing. That was a fantastic yeah. recap of what it what it takes. I mean, honestly, to uh, to dirtbag your way from Vermont to Korea, shoestring it together. I mean, right. And what he said, he had like fifty five hundred bucks for two like guys that? to yeah. go cover the Olympics. It's just really interesting. You know, years ago, I worked for this. Uh, we had a client um, 
it was a travel, uh, international travel organization, did these trips all over the world. Um, and I was working, helping with the U.S. side of it. Mm -hmm. And um, we joked all the time that, you know, you have, you know, these groups of 65-year-old nurses in London that are signing up for trips up Kilimanjaro. And, right, and, and, then, right. and then you have like a lawyer in Manhattan who's on the uh, Stairmaster every morning for three hours who doesn't feel like he can handle it, you know? And, and, right. I, and we were talking about sort of the American uh, adventure gap or deficit. And uh, I just love hearing stories like this. I mean, how he just, he just went for it, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and I love that, you know? Travel is a, it's a, you know, the whole idea of just showing up in Korea and not knowing exactly what it's going to be and you don't speak the language yeah and these, it sounded like they were like the perfect people to do that sort of thing and oh, they, they knew that they were going to be fine with it yeah and, and it's great i mean it, it's certainly a little controlled it's not like they were going to the south pole or something totally like that. yeah um but it was fantastic and you would imagine that the whole country was kind of prepared for yeah. a bunch of freaky people coming over yeah. and you had to, you know... Otherwise known as Americans. Yeah, you had to show them around the country yeah. and, and hopefully squeak a couple bucks out of them. It looked like a ton of fun. I uh, I, I have never been to an Olympics. Um, uh, I would love to go sometime. I think that uh, would be a, a wonderful, fun thing to do. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. A, a, one of those lifetime things to do. Yeah, check it off the bucket list, for sure. So, uh, yeah. Good news. We got good, this new... Wait, wait. We got really good news or just good news? It's always good news. <laughs> we got the text back finally from from uh, from Chuck. Yes. Um, about the beer fridge. Yeah, couple things. Um, he's at a Celtics game right now. Yeah. So uh, Gina has texted us what's in the fridge. She's a saint. So I just want to I just want to put that out there. She's a saint. I will. I will. Yeah. Let's do the canonization or whatever. <laughs> whatever whatever the paperwork is required. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If there's white smoke coming out of a chimney, whatever. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Gina's yeah. a saint. Yeah. Um so therefore, I think I think this week at least it's it's if not it's forever, Gina's, it's Gina's beer fridge. I think that's a much it sounds better. <laughs> it sounds way better. <laughs> of course. It sounds better. But the thing is is that I mean the beer fridge is like one shelf is all heady toppers for Gina. So, like, I mean, she's, right. you know, that's... Kind all right, of well, she here's, here's what's in the in the fridge. All right, what do you got? She's got Upper Pass. Upper Pass. Um, Bent Hill. Bent Hill. It's funny, I've been seeing that around. I haven't had that, but I've seen it. Um, well, Chuck says about it that he, he wants to love it because it's his hometown. So I'm guessing it's Randolph or Braintree or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He um, wants to love it. I feel like that's code for I don't like it. He says uh, it was tolerable, if not maybe even good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is such like a, a, that's such a funny. That's, that's like a you know album quote way to put that. You know, it's very but, slippery. Yeah, that's uh, that's not an endorsement. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 see. Bent Hill. Okay. Um, the Modellos are still in there. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll go over there and drink them sometime. Uh, the sips are in there, the focals are in there, and the headies are in there. Always, yeah. Um, and he says that it's uh, better every day. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I don't. That the fridge is getting better every day? I don't know. That's interesting. I, I will say, like, when I was over there for the Super Bowl, there was a lot of deferred maintenance in the beer fridge. Like, like there were a lot of... <laughs> 
<laughs> two packs that still had the you know the four pack plastic things on top. Yeah. Stuff hadn't been broken apart. The it, the labels yeah. were not fronted. I love how you're you're critiquing the the fridge that we raid for sporting events. That's you great. Know, I just wanted it. <laughs> I just feel like I provided some value with in, the Modellos. No, in organizing the fridge. Oh. The Modellos were just, that was just got me in the door. You know, because you can't show up with just chips, but, uh, you know, Modellos are, no, they're not cheap, but they're not expensive. You know what? I think for the Super Bowl, we did not show up with beer. Because showing, showing up with beer at, at Chunk and Gina's is just <coughs> like, they always have it. Showing up with, like with weed at Snoop Dogg's? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well put. Yeah. So Amy made like two ice cream pies or something. Oh, I had some. Yeah, I love the ice cream. I think it's a good it's a good thing to break. It is. I agree. Especially I brought, when I had nothing to do with it, and she just made it. I brought guacamole, and and oh, it, I had that. That was really it good. was really good. And I have to say, like one of the most rewarding parts of the guacamole mm-hmm. was seeing a horde of kids line up to eat a vegetable <laughs> or a fruit, depending on how you define it. But yeah. uh, but it was great. Like you know, they they just descended on that guac and destroyed it. Well, there's a reason why it's like the number one side dish condiment thing. Is it? There's it's like in the condiment you side know, dish the rankings. avocados. They there there's a lot of oil and fat in them. They're, they they taste delicious. great. They're made. Yeah, there's plenty of fat. There's plenty They're of delicious. fat in them. Yeah, but it's veggie fat, so it's cool. <laughs> Avocado veggie fat. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, so uh, that's another super local in the books. Another super local. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh,